Matt Polly is the author of uh, three very well-known books. Most recent, recently is Bruce Lee, A Life. Before that, it was Tapped Out. And before that, it was American Shaolin, which detailed his travels to the Shaolin Temple in China to learn Kung Fu. Matt, how are you doing? Good, Paul. Thanks for having me on. It's really great to speak to you again. So we've, we've met once before. You came to my Bruce Lee conference and uh, we had a great time. And uh, now is a good time for us to talk again, isn't it? Because all things Bruce Lee are kind of happening again and appearing again. And you're the expert who knows everything about his life. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we'll talk a, little, we talk a little bit about Bruce Lee and then we'll talk about new projects and past projects. and, and all Sure. Because there's a, there's, there's a new ESPN documentary about Bruce Lee, isn't there? Which, did you have some involvement in that? I haven't seen it, by the way. I've read a lot about it, but I haven't seen it yet. Yes. So uh, the ESPN documentary uh, just came out here in the States. Uh, they optioned my book for it. And then they sort of made me executive producer, which is a fancy title means you don't do much. Uh, basically, uh, I helped them set up some interviews. Uh, but I met with the director and I said, this is your project. You should take it whatever direction you want. Mm -hmm. And uh, he did. So I wasn't involved with the creative parts. I don't want to claim any credit for that. Mm -hmm. um, but it was sort of my book that got ESPN to finance the project. Okay, that's that's good. So, you, and you've you obviously you've seen all the different drafts of it, and you've seen the different versions of it. And I mean, what's I mean, what do you think are its strongest points, and what maybe are its weakest points? That you, as an author, because I guess the literary the the literary uh, medium allows for <clears throat> I guess a lot greater de uh, amount of detail and. And digressions and so on, but I guess for a documentary, you've got to shoot a narrative. So, I mean, what do you, what do you feel about the end product? Yeah, I think what what I realized is uh, two hours of film or documentary is basically a hundred pages of a book. Um, that that the best films often are like from novellas or short stories, because um, when anyone tries to do a novel, you always if you love the novel, you always feel like it didn't quite catch it. Um, and so the documentary is about an hour and 40 minutes long. I think the thing uh, Bao, director Bao did very well is he focused on Bruce as a kind of Asian American hero. Yeah. And that's a particularly valid, there are many different versions of Bruce and that's one of them. And no one's really told that story since most mm -hmm. of us who have written about Bruce Lee are white. Um, and so I thought he was able to bring, <laughs> uh, that was part of the reason I signed with uh, the SPN group because I thought, he would be able to tell that story in a way that no one else had. Okay. So that I think is the strongest part of the documentary. And it really gets into the history of racism against Chinese in America, um, mm -hmm. particularly in Hollywood media representations. And so in that sense, it's really timely given the protest, et cetera. Um, and that's why I think the reviews have been quite positive. Um, no one who ever has their book adapted is fully happy. So um, the things I think, uh, it was weak on has to do basically with the limited amount of time and the fact they had to make choices. Mm -hmm. And so my concern with the documentary is the, the, the tendency to fall into the kind of uh, glorification of Bruce, the beatification, uh, the hagiography. So mm -hmm. there, was a, there was a touch of the St. Bruce to it, mm -hmm. which I think is a danger everyone has when they work on a project. They kind of want to justify to the audience why they should be watching it. Mm -hmm. And so there's a tendency to emphasize the positive and uh, whitewash the negative. Okay. 
So in, in your book, um, which I guess it came out in 2018, so it came out about two years ago. That's right. I mean, you didn't, you, 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 you did not, you did a warts and all, didn't you? you, you That's right. And it's probably one of the, one of the very few texts that was able to really, really explore the complexity of, of, of someone who was ambitious and hyperactive and, and wanted to be everything and do everything, um, but was also just very much a, a kind of regular failed person. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah, I mean, so yeah. No, no, go ahead. So yes, that was really uh, what I wanted to do because Bruce Lee was a hero of mine growing up and the image in the media coming from the 90, 1993 movie, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, um, is very much influenced by Linda Lee and the Bruce Lee estate, who obviously for personal reasons want to tell the best possible version mm -hmm. of her husband possible. And uh, I, when I started researching it, I realized, oh, they've, they've left a lot out. Uh, and I thought it was actually um, not disrespectful, but not, uh, you weren't honoring his tradition by only telling the positive side. You actually increased, I was more impressed with Bruce Lee realizing what a sort of regular human being with all the failures we all have, mm. that he was able to accomplish what he did. Um, but if you portray him as this kind of super heroic figure who is basically invincible, then it seems like what he accomplished was, you know, if Superman can jump a building, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, when Michael Jordan can leap in the air and hang there, it's something special because he did it through hard work. And that's what I wanted to emphasize, his humanity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so um, one, of the, one of the older biography, biographies of Bruce Lee was the, um, the Tao of Bruce Lee by, by Davis Miller. And he, at one point in that <clears throat> book, he says like, so this was published in about 2000, 2001. And he, at that time, when he was writing that book, he said, Bruce Lee is one of the most influential figures about whom we know the least. But everything's changed, hasn't it, in the last 18 or 20 years. Like, a lot of people have put a lot of effort into finding out as much about the details of his life um, as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. It's basically like there's an amateur Bruce Lee scholarship going on. And I often argued that if he were Shakespeare, there, there'd be various, these various figures would have, you know, posts at universities. <clears throat> uh, and instead, they do it all on their own. And so, um, because it's an amateur endeavor, you have the problem of, you know, they don't use standard scholarly research, they don't reference where they get their points from. So there's a lot of mistakes that go on along the way. But certainly in the last 20 years, we have a much better sense of who Bruce Lee was as a person than we did in, say, the early 90s when he was still basically a mythological figure. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, you didn't, you're not just a one-trick pony. You're not just a Bruce Lee guy. I mean, Bruce Lee might have been there in your early formative years, but you've, you've walked the walk in, in these other spheres of life. You, when you were young, you, you went off to China to learn Kung Fu and uh, and then later on you you studied to, to, to train to, to fight MMA. Um, when you went to China was it the idea of the book or was it to for the Kung Fu or was it like I could this is a way I can do both I can do this travel traveler's tale or what 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 was the process? I think uh, it was working on, whenever you do something really nuts, it's usually multiple levels uh, <coughs> of justification. 
So at the time, uh, I was a junior in college, um, and we had a senior thesis coming up, and I was a religion East Asian studies major, so I thought I could go to China for a year and research this project, and it would have an academic purpose. Hmm. Uh, and a kind of deeper level, I was this kind of skinny, scrawny kid who was picked on in high school, and so felt fearful and cowardly, the cowardly lion. And so I thought if I, you know, where can you go to become tough? And, you know, your choices are like become a Navy SEAL or, um, you know, go to the Shaolin Temple where they teach Kung Fu. Uh, and I actually asked somebody, should I, should I try to be a Navy SEAL? And they were like, dude, you're like 135 pounds and you speak Chinese. They're going to have you behind a desk <laughs> translating Communist Party things. They'll never let you shoot a gun. So I ended up going to the Shaolin Temple, this kind of, you know, quest for manhood. Um, I also had a spiritual sort of seeking at the time. I was very into Zen Buddhism. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, for what, and I'd seen all the movies, Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon was a Shaolin monk, you know, the 36 chambers of Shaolin. There's this mm -hmm. kind of mythologic mythology about the Shaolin temple. So when I heard that there was a Shaolin temple, that it really existed, it just captured my imagination and it felt like, you know, destiny tapping you on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. When I when I started reading that book, I the first few pages I thought this is a lie. It's made up. This is fiction. This is not true, and I, I thought I'd been conned. But then, I, as I read it, I realised not only was it was it true, but it, I actually I remember learning Chinese expressions because you start to incorporate them into the. Because at the time, well, not not when I start, first read the book, but. I bought the book, I started reading it, thought, this is a lie, and just put it down, like literally first two pages, <laughs> I was like, it's just a lie. And, um, and then shortly after that, <clears throat> I broke my ankle and I was bedridden for, for months. And I thought, oh, okay. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to learn Chinese then. And, I'll, and I was reading your book and trying to, to learn Chinese. Uh -huh. And I picked probably most of the Chinese that stuck, because I gave up as soon as I could walk again, obviously. Mm. Um, were the, the expressions that come from your book. And it's, it was really quite an educational experience. Thank you. Yeah, I, I wanted, um, I felt like part of what I was doing, like any good travel journalism, it's a kind of um, anthropological, a kind of armchair anthropology. And so I wanted to give the reader a sense of what it, what it felt like to be there and to be, in my case, the only non-Chinese person in the whole area and what it felt like to to go through trying to learn what this culture was like um, mm -hmm. as a as a total neophyte, um, and certainly some of the linguistic things like um, instead of saying hello, they ask you, "Have you eaten?" Mm -hmm. um, so you go, "Chabalameo." Have you? And that means, "Have you eaten full um, or not?" And that was because the place was so poor that many people didn't eat regularly, and if you said. I haven't eaten, then they, they were required to invite you to dinner. Yeah, there, there, was, there were quite a few expressions like that. The, yeah. one, that, the one that always stuck was, the, was it Nali, Nali? It's like, where, where? Yeah, when someone gives you a compliment and you're like, Oh, yes, oh. yes, yes. And it's like Instead of saying no, no, or you're being too <laughs> kind, you say where, where, as if it, it couldn't be directed at yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And then, so you, so you say you are kind of a, a scrawny kid. I mean, I've met you and you're a lot taller than me, but you say you are skinny. And then later on, when, when that project's finished and that book's finished and you, you, you've aged and matured, you decide you want to go and do the same project, but this time in the US, MMA, you want to do 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you want to do Thai boxing, you want to do, and it this was to do with a kind of, you felt that you were getting old and everything and you, you, you wanted to get fit again and yeah. that's part of it. Yeah, so uh, it, it was actually a couple things. One was just a practical thing, which is uh, once everyone's written a, their first book and it does pretty well, you're kind of stuck because you spent your whole life writing that first book and then what do you do for an encore? Mm -hmm. um, and so I pitched a few ideas to my editor um, and the only one he liked was me getting beat up. Yeah. Um, so I used to joke that he, <laughs> he, he deep down had some resentment towards me. Um, uh, but I also, at that point in time, had stopped training martial arts, which, as you know, happens to a lot of martial artists. We get to a certain level and then life kicks in and, and we let it go. Um, and I was sort of mid-30s and I thought, if I ever want to try this, you know, to be a real fighter, this is the last chance I've got. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point in time, MMA had just, you know, it was in the early 2000s. It had just started to take off as a real sport. Mm -hmm. um, and I was curious to explore what sort of happens to traditional martial arts when it hits essentially the Vegas casino mm -hmm. <laughs> of American culture. Um, and so it really was an exploration of what this thing was, uh, what it had become, and also the process of what it's to be like uh, to try to be an MMA fighter because it, it was a, a fascinating thing. You started to bump into people. It used to be like when I was growing up, you'd meet somebody and they'd be like, I've got a band. Um, and it was, you know, some guy whose life wasn't going so well, but he had this, he knew there was a way out. He could yeah. be really famous. And so I would meet guys who like work construction and they're like, I wrestled in high school and now I'm an MMA fighter. Yeah. Um, or you meet some girl and be like, my, my boyfriend's an MMA fighter. And before that, no one would ever say, you know, my boyfriend's a Chinese kickboxer or, you know, it wasn't a profession. It wasn't something that could make you famous. Um, and so it was fascinating to me to see the martial arts sort of go, uh, or martial arts sport combat go mainstream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, you, you traveled, you were training different styles every day, weren't you? Sometimes you're doing two different classes a day so you're doing a grappling class and you're doing a Thai boxing class and it sounds it sounds like hell like it just sounds like the worst the worst possible combination of things to be doing in one day and but you're yes. still eating really badly I remember from the book you're just like you're still just driving through and <laughs> that's right I still was trying to on the diet <laughs> that's right I was still trying to maintain uh, my you know, middle-aged, bad American eating, drinking habits while also training. And I realized that's why, you know, when they train soldiers, they start with 18-year-olds because once you hit 30, you just don't recover the same way as you used to. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was doing jujitsu with Henzo Gracie in the mornings. John Donaher was the coach who's this genius. Um, and then in the afternoon, Phil Nurse was uh, the Muay Thai coach. And so I was doing that for a long time, but I wasn't living properly. And so the, the, the effect of the training was fairly minimal. <clears throat> and I ended up going to Vegas to train at Randy Couture's camp. Um, mm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take eight weeks, leave my, I just got married. I'm going to leave my new bride uh, for eight weeks, train and go have a fight. And I got there and the third day, the coach looked at me and he said, look, I can't, in good conscience, put you in the ring in eight weeks, you'll get killed. <laughs> he goes, you're going to need six months of all out training. And even then I'm not sure you're going to survive it. So, 
um, that, you know, the level of commitment to be even an amateur athlete is, I think, something that even, you know, really hardcore martial artists don't understand. Um, there's an aspect to martial arts in the West that's very much a kind of, you know, three times a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hell yeah. And so when you, when, the, when you see the, the professionals, you know, you know, the way they train, it's just a whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I was, it's funny cause I was, um, I, I mentioned this to someone the other week on the podcast. I think I was talking to a builder, this guy has come do some work for me and he talked about when he used to do MMA and he quit all of that cause it was too hot and he just does Wing Chun and he goes, no, martial arts for me. But in my, like mixed martial arts is martial arts, but he's going, no, 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 no. I just, I just want to do Wing Chun and learn about energies and learn about posture. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I do too. Yeah. 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 And then you, um, from so from these two books, this helped you, didn't it, to open some doors when you really wanted to do the research on Bruce Lee? Because people were kind of like, this isn't just some guy saying I'm writing a book about Bruce Lee. This was someone who was a proven author who was going to have a publisher, and it was going to happen. Yeah, that made a huge difference. Um, which which was it? You know, the Bruce Lee people have been asked by you know they're just Bruce Lee nerds everywhere who who for just would love to talk to Bruce's brother or you know Bruce's business partner <clears throat> and so the fact that I spoke Chinese or Mandarin at least um, and that I'd lived at the Shaolin Temple and that I was had done all the martial arts and had written a couple books about martial arts that were successful meant that people believed that this would be something worthwhile to contribute to, not just some self-published book that never would see the light of day. Mm. Uh, and so that did make a huge difference as far as access was concerned. And also, I think the amount of time people were willing to sort of grant me. Mm. Uh, but even then, it's still uh, probably when the think about the hardest part of writing the book, tracking people down sort of, you feel like a homeless person. You're like, would you please talk to me? You know, um, getting them to agree, getting them to sit down. It's just really time consuming. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, it ended up, you know, stretching out the research process for a long period of time. And also what's interesting is the Bruce Lee world has a lot of, he's so famous that people who knew him are sort of famous. Uh, and so it develops its own internal politics. You know, there's different factions, et cetera, and you have to sort of navigate that. Yes, I, I've I've met some people who are in that in that world in that orbit in that kind of world, and it seems really tense, really tense a lot. Yes, it looks like they'll yes. be in the same meetings together. They'll be on the same foundation and say, and then, but they're like. <laughs> yeah yeah no they it's and it's resentment that's built up over like 40 years mm -hmm. um and so it's fascinating because your your initial response is like oh martial arts bruce lee be like water everyone should love each other and then what you realize is human beings are just human beings and no matter what organization you walk into there's politics and resentments and mm -hmm. things that go back decades that you can't fully understand when somebody tried to do a project and didn't cut you in on it and you're pissed mm -hmm. off about it and you never let it go, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. So, so, I mean, I guess the book must be doing really well if ESPN have picked it up and done all these things with it. Is it, is it, is it your most successful book to date? It's actually the first one, American Shaolin is the most successful to date. Uh, yeah, but that's because it's been out for longer. Um, okay. So as, at, at, it, Bruce Lee's on pace to pass American Shaolin. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yes, the ESPN documentary obviously gave it a huge boost. And, you know, there's some other things in the works that, that may as well. So 
Um, Some more Bruce Lee things? Yeah. Okay. Aren't you bored of Bruce Lee yet? Uh, you know, it's really, it's interesting. Uh, I, I joke that he's like a vortex. I feel like I'm one of the people in the Bruce Lee orbit that I've been sort of sucked in and I can't quite get, achieve escape velocity. Um, but I'm hoping the next book will actually be a biography. I'm working on a biography of George Carlin. Um, and so I want to do someone who's not a martial artist just at least once. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, not that I don't want to keep doing your podcast, but, um, I, uh, but at the same time, he's Bruce Lee's such a fascinating figure and it's, it's, this is clearly a moment like the early nineties when, you know, I think what it is is generational. Like every 20 years we have to retell our icon stories mm -hmm. uh, and his time has come again. And so, you know, yeah. I just, I keep getting calls from people who want to do something Bruce Lee related. Yeah, <clears throat> I do too. Cause I wrote, as you know, I wrote yeah. two academic books with Bruce Lee in the title. And then I was asked to write a sort of coffee table book, yeah. which, which I, I really agonized about that, uh, but a colleague of mine said, because I was worried about my reputation, and the colleague yeah. said, he said, academics won't notice, but your bank account will. Uh -huh. So I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> so, but I kind of, I, people have still ask me, this is 10 years and seven years since my books, and people still ask me to write about Bruce Lee, and I'm like, I just can't do it. I just, it would be wrong for me to do something else. <laughs> Bruce Lee, you know? Yeah. But you're not there yet. No, 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 no. And I'm not an academic. So, um, you know, the bank account's the only way we make a decision here as uh, professional writers. But um, I, I do think it's interesting that uh, uh, the eternal fascination with him, he really is the kind of Elvis Presley type figure um, where something about what he has become as an archetype in the public's mind Mm. never ceases to end being fascinating um and so i you know i'm perpetually shocked that two years later people still want to talk to me about him yeah i mean i i the thing with him is he's a, he's a sort of object shared in common that like people are drawn to him and they'll have all these different takes on him but you can talk about him and go it's like bruce lee said it's like bruce lee moved or it's like so no matter what style of martial art you may do maybe if it's maybe it's generational but as you say it comes cyclically so when i was in hong kong and, yeah. and i was training uh, briefly because uh, I, I was doing choily foot in in england and i went to visit hong kong for a conference i took some choily foot classes and this guy a british guy afterward he's like so quietly he's like so what do you think about Bruce Lee? And I thought, like, oh yeah. And I was thinking, oh, Wing Chun, Charlie Fort rivalry in Hong right. Kong. But I went, I think he's great. And he went, yeah, so do I, but don't tell Sifu, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but last time we talked, um, we talked about future projects and things, and you were interested in looking at something to do with the kind of cultural politics of Krav Maga. Is the, have you put that on pause for a minute or? Yeah, I, so I did. I definitely looked at that um, and I was interested, uh, but I, I wasn't able to convince my editors that that was um, a sufficiently big enough idea, um, that it was a little too inside martial arts. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the problems. The, the intersection I've carved out is kind of a popular author uh, mm -hmm. focused on martial arts. And there are, there are limited numbers of subjects that, crossover to the larger public and that was the concern with uh with uh, krav maga mm -hmm. although i do think he would be you know the founder would be a fascinating um i actually think he'd be a fascinating book and it would have an audience but 
um, you know, if you can't get your, if you can't get someone to pay for it, you can't afford to, to create a book. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think there's more, more, more academic attention going to Krav Maga, but I also understand the, the desire to, to sometimes be talking about something slightly differently. So like sure. I, someone asked me to go on a podcast a few weeks ago and we started off talking about nothing to do with martial arts. And I was like, I remember this. I remember not just talking about martial arts all the time. It was really, really, it was really exciting and refreshing. But I mean, I mean, are you still doing a lot of interviews? You're doing this. You you agreed to, to chat to me, but are you still doing a lot of media around Bruce Lee or is it wider than that? Yeah, it's, um, you know, yeah, my media hits tend to be, I've become the Bruce Lee biographer. Um, and it's kind of become definitional, which is why I want to do a biography outside the martial arts. Like that's because I don't want to be, I, I'm sure you know some of them, the guys for whom like researching Bruce Lee is their life work. Yep. <clears throat> and I have total respect for that. But that's, you know, as you said, Bruce Lee is an interest of mine, but not my only one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, f- for example, what Quentin Tarantino's movie came out. Yes. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and his portrayal of Bruce Lee became this huge story. And so I was the first person to come out and say, I think it's unfair what he did. I think it was a caricature and it kind of ruined what was otherwise a really great movie. Mm-hmm. And uh you know, from that point on, it turned into the snowball effect where, you know, the, the Times of London was calling me up asking my opinion on it. I was like, this is crazy. Um, the Daily Telegraph, I was like, I'm getting international calls about my opinion of Quentin Tarantino's five minute portrayal of Bruce Lee and his otherwise pretty good movie. Yeah, nobody asked me. I would have said I quite liked it. I thought it was OK because because it's it's a, it's like it's the Tarantino universe, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a sidekick movie. The the movie is about sidekicks. Cato was a sidekick. Ah, uh, yeah. Brad Pitt's the sidekick, and it's about two sidekicks. And it's like it's essentially, it's when it's when Cato fights Robin in in Batman. It's when when those shows. That's that is what it is because it's mythological cinematic. It's yeah. not Bruce Lee. It isn't Bruce Lee, everyone. It's not. It's it's the, it's a weird composite figure. But I guess. From from your perspective as a biographer, I could understand why you would go. Oh, I have to evaluate it in terms of the veracity and verisimilitude and uh, and all of these. Kind well, of they, I mean, they specifically asked me, "Is is it accurate? Is this right. <laughs> is this Bruce Lee accurate?" Um, and no, <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, what he? It's a caricature. He took elements like he took 1972 Bruce Lee yeah. and stuck him in 1966. Yeah. Um, and then he threw a couple things in there. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my sort of general take on, I agree with you, like <clears throat> Tarantino can do whatever he wants. It's, he has his own universe. But I thought he was very sympathetic and accurate with Steve McQueen, Sharon Farrell, Jay Sebring. It was Bruce Lee was the only one who became a, a caricature who's used to make the main character, Brad Pitt's character, look cool. Yeah. Um, and so there was a transactional use of Bruce Lee. Um, and I, I thought he could have done it in a way that would have avoided the criticism. Yeah. Uh, and he, of course, he has the right to do whatever he wants. He's a genius. But uh, the way he used him, actually, when I was watching it, I just felt, Ugh. I was like, no, don't, no, Quentin, don't, don't do that. Because um, he could have figured out a way to make that portrayal work better. 
um, to yeah. the sensitivities of the time. But I, but I, I take your point. I take your point uh, well. It is. It is the worst scene in the film because it, it's got the the director's wife comes in and it's just like it's it's just naff really it's just a bit like in terms of as a plot device it's unnecessary and it's but he wanted to shoehorn bruce lee in there somehow so he did yeah, yeah I, I agree with you I, I agree with you on that i agree yes. so i so i i do think he could have totally saved it if he had allowed bruce lee to show up in the end fight with brad pitt against the manson gang Right. <laughs> that would have been good wouldn't it like bruce lee just randomly shows up at jay at the uh roman polanski's estate he looks over he wanders in and then he and brad pitt like beat the, the sidekicks the sidekicks beat the living shit out of the manson gang and then <laughs> people would have completely forgiven the initial portrayal of bruce lee yeah yeah anyway. so I, I mean, what was I was going to ask you? <laughs> so and now this is what happens. I'm completely derailed, and all I want to think about now is is that film and Bruce Lee and the status of of Bruce Lee in it. But but we have yeah. to. We, we can't just stay on that forever. No, we can't. <laughs> so so you're going to do the sort of media junket. You're going to around the documentary. There's a few more things in the pipeline. There'll be anniversaries. You've got a couple of big, there's a big anniversary coming up, isn't there? I guess you're already thinking about that. The 50 yeah. year anniversary. That's right. I guess things are happening. Yeah. They're, they're, I think you may be right. It may be some of the 50 year anniversary stuff that's coming up that's causing this sort of, uh, this movement in the culture. Um, and it's a weird thing because you all, you want to keep promoting a book, but you need to move on to your next one. And so um, I'm sort of in that stage of struggle, which is, you know, you don't want to give up any interesting project, but at the same time, um, I, you know, I don't want to be 60 and still be talking about Bruce Lee uh, yeah, exclusively. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, um, I guess now that, now that your book's out there and you really, you really show your sources and you, you really show where you get your evidence from. Um, are you still finding people outraged at the suggestion? Are you still find, are you, or, or if you don't want to answer that question, are you, do you get annoyed now when like just junk is churned out about that, that like that, that completely um, lives the mythic Bruce Lee or that, or that paints the wrong picture or does, does that bother you having, having put the document out there in the world, if people haven't read it, if they're going to talk is like do a literature review this is now the literature you can't not read this book do you how do you feel about that when people say that's a, things about bruce lee that's a very smart question um yeah so i i will like somebody inevitably somebody at some newspaper writes an article about bruce lee and somebody will forward it to me and i'll read it and then i'll get to the point where they say and you know Bruce Lee came up with the idea for the Kung Fu TV series and it was stolen from him and given to David Carradine. I'm like, no, <laughs> why? <laughs> like, um, so when you tear down, what's interesting is, you know, the durability of myths. Like even if you write and completely deconstruct something and totally show it's inaccurate, it will continue on because it fits a narrative line. Mm -hmm. And so I think particularly the Kung Fu TV series becomes the symbol for white racism in Hollywood that Bruce Lee had to face. And it's such a graphic example that everyone can grasp, but they keep telling it. 
You know, they keep telling the story that Bruce Lee went to Hong Kong because Hollywood had rejected him. When that's not true, he went to Hong Kong because he needed the money. Actually, at that moment, he was doing pretty well in Hollywood and planned to return quickly. So these kind of like, you know, narrative turns keep coming up or somebody will show me some script they want to do about Bruce Lee. And then there's this huge section about Kung Fu, the TV series. And I'm like, why do you keep doing it? Um, So it's interesting that you can't, or for example, this documentary, it completely slid past Bruce's death. Um, and Betty Ting Pei was a business meeting. Uh, and it was an aspirin that killed him. And you're like, <laughs> you optioned my book. <laughs> you can do better than that even without reading the book. But yeah, yeah exactly. Why, why won't you do better than that? Yeah, yeah the, the, the beats of his life story have been really ingrained in the public's mind. And so there's a tendency to just want to hit those beats over and over again because yeah. they've become, he's like Achilles. He's, he's, he, is a, he, is, he is our modern day Achilles. That's what I think of him. That's why um, I think he captures the imagination. And yeah. so the way you tell the Iliad, you just, you tell the same beats. And when someone reinterprets the story, it's still the same sort of um, aspects. I just, I just, I ask because I often think of a situation where I asked an academic to review an article that was about a specific, I'm not going to, I'm going to be incredibly vague about this. It was about a specific martial art, right? Or let's call it a combat sport. It's about a specific combat sport. And the academic reviewed it and was in like incensed that his work wasn't referenced in it. Yeah. And, and I just remember thinking, you're going to have to come to terms. I said, and I just wrote back and said, imagine how I feel every time anyone says anything about Bruce Lee. And I've right. probably read, I've written the most impenetrable and difficult book to read. But I'm like, it's all in there. It's there. Like, it's not a biography of him. No, go and read Matt Polly's work. But it's yeah, everything, yeah. That, everything you can think about Bruce Lee, it's in there. Right. But, you know, <laughs> took me a little while to come to terms with that. But like I, as an academic, I understand people probably aren't going to read it. They're going to reference it vaguely. Yeah. Bowen's written about it anyway. Yeah. yeah. They, well, they, or they read a couple pages and they're like, oh, Bowen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's the way of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you're uh, older than mid thirties now and a bit, yeah. you, uh, I guess you're you're somewhere in the New York area, and I guess it's kind of still lockdown, opening up a bit now. Are you? Do you do any martial arty stuff? Do you stretch at home? Are you are you kicking a punch bag? Are you? Are you? You know, what's the status of of martial arts in your in your life? <laughs> it it it's definitely declined badly during the pandemic. You would think you would have more time, but. Um... Uh, it the uncertainty of this world has made it harder to have regularity, uh, particularly since I have a five-year-old child who had to be taken care of. And I basically swap off with my wife, which means she does 80% of it and then's mad at me for 20% of the time. <laughs> um, so uh, less so, but I do have a kind of kick bag and a punch bag. Um, I find most of the martial arts I do now is the fact that my five-year-old is now a yellow belt in Taekwondo. Okay. Um, and so I'm a martial arts dad. Um, the way we have football dads and basketball dads, that's, I'm a martial arts dad and I'm the one who goes there and, and uh, the coaches teach him something and I'm like, yeah, uh, keep, keep your hands up. Yeah. Don't do it like that. 
Oh yeah, please. Don't put your hands, your fists on your hip. Don't, please don't do that. <laughs> it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, so, so my children are considerably older than, than yours. And, and when they were younger, like when they, when they, when they, when they were your kids' age, they're like, can we do this? Can we do that? And I said, yeah, I'll teach you that. No, 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 not you. We want to go down. We want the uniforms. We want that. And I'm like, okay, well, you can do a crap version of it if you want. But yeah. And then they come back in like five years later and they're doing these crappy little that's a hoop. It's not a hoop. It's not right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. They, and then yes. it's like, ah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough position to be in, you know? It is because you, um, I, I will jump up occasionally and like try to help him and he has, he's a good kid. So he'll let me do it, but he's got that purse lip look on his face. Like you don't know anything. My <laughs> master knows something. And, and, even if you did, I don't want you to teach me this. Yes. Um, which I totally understand. The worst thing I ever saw were the master's fathers, you know, the ones who like totally control their sons and try to turn them into the thing they never quite were. Um, so I don't want to be that kind of dad, but I do, I'll sit in class and he'll come back and tell me something. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'd kick the shit out of your teacher. <laughs> Yeah. He, he would he would try that high spinning kick. I just drop down, put him yeah. on the floor, and kick his ass. Yeah, um, it's a tough. It's a tough, you don't want to say anything that's going to be fed back to the. To yeah, the exactly. Team. So you just you just smile yeah. and you're like, I, I you think I'll fix this later. Yeah, I'll I'll get you some boxing classes. We'll fix that hook up, son. Yeah, I know. I, I try not to disparage them, but but I'm like, but you, I will not allow you to punch like that. Right. That's. Yeah. It's just not, it's just, it's not acceptable to me. Anyway, I think we, we've, we've now moved into chatting about our, our kids. So I think, um, <laughs> I think <laughs> on that right. note, <laughs> exactly. I, I want to thank you for, uh, for taking the time to, um, to talk to me again. And uh, I hope that our paths cross again in the real world. Uh, just say, wish you all the best of luck with your projects and thank you very much, Matt Polly. Thank you, Paul.